Welcome to The Map of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 42nd episode, I'll be talking to singer-songwriter Marion Call about music and history. Along the way, we'll discuss musicians that don't want you to spread the word, how sometimes the easiest way to get something done is to join a nunnery, and how, when self-employed, to manage your most difficult employee. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. you may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? <laughs> I am a singer-songwriter. I live in Alaska. I'm one of many singer-songwriters, but I'm definitely one of the nerdier, stranger ones. I write about unusual topics, let's say. I've been touring and making records for 10 years now. I just finished up my 10th album, and my new album is called Standing Stones, and I am currently fulfilling my Kickstarter for that record, and stuffing envelopes is my full-time job right right now. <laughs> yeah, it's always the bureaucracy that gets you in the Kickstarters. Oh yeah, it's fun. I actually really enjoy it. It just takes a long time. And I've actually been a follower of your music for a very long time, at least as the internet reckons things, because I saw you on the NSFW Summer Music Series way back when. Oh my goodness, years and years ago. That's right. That was a yes. really fun show. It always is, yeah. We shocked everyone, I think. They did not know what to expect, and it was extra scary for me performing. We were doing a little live web stream for one of the uh, Twit Network shows, and they show you on a giant screen right in front of you, they show you the show chat, which of course was obscene and mean and all of the other things like the internet usually is. But oh, yeah, I got lots of I had to get used to comments about various body parts of mine. But oh boy, it was wild to do that while singing, which was really funny. I wound up having a lot of fun, though. I felt brave and proud after finishing that show and managing to be entertaining, at least according to the folks in the chat that I was staring me in the face. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't in the chat, I'm happy to say. I was afterwards listening to it via podcast, but yes, you were indeed entertaining. And I went and looked up your albums, and I learned that you use a typewriter for percussion, which I thought was incredibly great. <laughs> I'm not the first, but I really enjoy it. So 10, 10 albums, God. I was, see, I actually went to your Wikipedia, and I'm like, okay, I need to reread. Because the last I had heard, you were doing crazy tours at like you know people's houses and businesses and all kinds of things in your van. And it said, okay, you know, fifth album. And I, I hear 10th album. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you need to update your Wikipedia. Yeah, I think Wikipedia is a bit behind. I have some faithful friends who help me keep it updated, but it's behind the times. It can't keep up with me. <laughs> it depends how you reckon albums, too. It could be 9 or 10 or 11, depending on what you count as an album. So, But I thought 10 albums in 10 years sounded good, so that's how I've decided to count. Worse for me. Uh-huh. It makes me slower <laughs> than a lot of other musicians on the internet, but also just fast enough to convince myself that I'm actually doing things and not just, uh, you know, stuffing envelopes and sending emails, which is a lot of the job of being a musician these days. Nine Inch Nails releases an album every five years, and I think you're five times better than that, so there you go. Oh, goodness sakes. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> 
All right, Marion, so let's start with the basics. Whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up outside Seattle, well outside Seattle. It was probably an hour, hour and a half, depending on the traffic, with, you know, cows and horses across the street. And I had one of those idyllic childhoods where you could just read a lot of books and run around in the woods, you know? So I feel very lucky for that. But I was also at school, very much nerdy, isolated, alienated kid, you know? I don't think that uh, anyone quite knew what to do with nerdy girls yet in the early 80s. I remember asking a bunch of boys about their D&D group and getting summarily sent away with reprimands, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> but I mean, that was the age of cooties, right? I can't blame them too much. I really was interested in video games and interested in role-playing games and fantasy, but I didn't know that those were things other girls were interested in. So I kind of kept it to myself and studied music really, really hard. Lots and lots of music, which was kind of the remedy for my social isolation, you know? Yeah, I certainly do. And I think it's something that I've learned through doing this show is so many people seem to find themselves isolated with things that literally everyone else is also doing. (laughs) So we were kind of alone together, but separately, you know? Oh, absolutely. What was funny was when MySpace finally came along, I think the first social network where I I would find, you know, childhood friends of mine again, my best girlfriends that I hung out with in middle school and high school, I found them and I would say to them, what? You liked Star Wars too? Because we had never talked about that. You know, we talked about boys and makeup in school and things like that, because that was what we were supposed to talk about. But we were all nerds. We just didn't know it because we never shared that with each other. And that cracked me up to find out later. The secret pieces of our lives turned out to all be the same. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, even stuff like I've got some friends who are very into sports and I, I look at the way they approach the sports that they love. And, you know, they're running fantasy baseball teams and they're talking about the minutia of hockey games from 1995. And I'm like, you guys realize you're nerds, right? Oh, absolutely. It's the same drive, just with different media. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I see those passions in exactly the same light, and I really enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about getting interested in D&D and getting harshly rebuked, but what other sort of things were you into? I think I took refuge in books my whole existence. <laughs> I, I loved mm-hmm. books, fantasy and history and biography and memoir and every kind of book I read. And in college, I started just reading tons and tons of nonfiction fiction. It was wonderful. That was kind of my nerd space. If you had to describe me as a nerd, since I didn't quite have the opportunity to go at D&D and video games, instead I dove really deep into kind of the liberal arts. You know, I got very into history and social sciences and understanding why people do what they do. Don't turn me loose on that because that's what I can talk about forever like a sports team. (laughs) I was gonna say, I may have to turn you loose purely because I am interested and... (laughs) Really, it's what the show's about. So go on, yeah. let's hear it. What what sort of history caught your attention? Oh, boy. Let's see. Were you an Egypt person? Were you an American history person? What caught your attention? I loved medieval and Renaissance literature and the history that led to them in the West because I that's where my family's from. That's kind of the fantasy worlds that I grew up loving were laid against an imagined backdrop of that time period, right? You know, knights in armor and all that. And so I got really interested in what the reality of that was. And of course, the reality is really ugly and plague ridden and misogynist and racist and fascinating. And I really was interested in how that fantasy and that basis for our modern fantasy has shaped, I don't know, the rest of our world. And I'm interested in what really happened then and also in what we imagine happened then because both of those are important since they inform a lot of Western fantasy, right? So I took a lot of classes on medieval women's literature, which was interesting because at the time, most medieval women's literature was actually medieval church literature because women figured 
figured out that if you wanted to not have sex with a lot of men and be allowed to do research, <laughs> you had to go join the church and become a nun. And so... They really ought to put that in the pamphlet. So I can think of many women that I know that would just be like, yep, yeah, cool, I'm down. That was what they did. They were like, this is one space where I will probably be safe and where I can be a scientist or be a writer, right? And so there were a lot of really, really interesting women who found the freedom to write about stuff in the church and whether or not to what degree they were devout you know nobody will ever know but we do know that there were some brilliant minds and that that was the space that they were able to write so that's always fascinated me the new project that i just finished the album that i just finished was actually based on a really commonly a commonly held book from that time period a book of prayer which became the english book of common prayer later it's called the book of hours and there's tons of them there's lots of them even from the middle ages because it was such a commonly held book most people learn to read from it. A lot of families had it, not even not super wealthy families. If they had one book, this was the book. And so that interested me because these were the prayers a bunch of people said every day. So these were the words they all had in common. And as a wordsmith, I'm really interested in words because I think the words we say shape our lives. And so I wanted to know what were these people saying every day? And if I were going to be forced to say something every day, which is what you do on a concert tour, incidentally, (laughs) what words would I want to say? So I thought every song I write, I might have to perform thousands of times. If I were going to write something that were true enough, I would feel comfortable performing it thousands of times. How would I frame it? So I made this elaborate structure based on this medieval Renaissance era book of prayers, loosely based on it. And I went for it and I wrote corresponding sort of agnostic modern prayers to go with the older. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff I really get into. And you can hear at the end the common uh, sort of nerd dismissal of, oh, I've been talking too long, haven't I? We all have our cues when we finally (laughs) recognize. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. (laughs) I think I might hang on to that as the nerds amen. It is, isn't it? I've been talking too much. It is. It it absolutely is. The nerds amen and salve are the, uh, oh, oh, and I suppose, you know, whatever, I guess. Some people are into that. And... (laughs) Which is a good phrase to have in your lexicon, because it is possible to go too far. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) since you asked, that was some of the stuff I really got into. I also studied a lot on uh, colonialism and race, and that was the kind of stuff that is a little bit thick, but also I feel like everyone in the world should know to have any kind of understanding of what happens in the world now. It was awesome. It was really great. I felt lucky to uh, have people to point me at such great books, and I wish I were reading more now, (laughs) but I spent too much time on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Or driving, or touring, or singing, or doing any of the other things that compile your very, very busy life. Oh, yeah. Yes. It can be busy. But I enjoy all the parts of it, including the driving and and the traveling and the envelope stuffing and the email. I do enjoy all those parts. It's just finding time for all of them. (laughs) So the kid that was being pointed at these books, what sort of kid was she? Oh, socially inept. I won't hesitate to say. Not very good at empathy yet, you know? And books helped a lot with that. Didn't have many friends. Still don't. I don't think I have any friends from that age, from like elementary school, early middle school, that are still with me now. But with a very supportive family and a strong set of artistic disciplines. So I would, you know, come home from school, read a lot and do my homework and then find more homework to do, you know, invent more homework for myself. Because I just wanted to learn everything. And uh, I would go outside and imagine stories. And then I would come in and write stories and write poetry and practice my music. I practiced harp or piano or whatever my instrument was in a given year. And dream of doing grand things. Or maybe saying grand things, I suppose. Which is good because that's what I do. Singing grand things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So were your family musical as well, or was it just kind of you forging your own trail? Oh, no, my family was all musicians. My parents were working musicians, so I saw them in action every weekend playing at weddings or funerals or church or whatever. That was a great background because they helped me have a healthy relationship, I think, with the stage in that there was no stage fright, there was no stage pressure, there was simply the job of being a musician, like being a village fiddler. It was very relaxed at the same time as it was very disciplined, you know? Yeah, I imagine that would also help with sort of not romantic romanticizing it or sticking to what needs to be done to get to where you want to be. Oh, or absolutely. I could be just projecting. No, but, you're right. Yeah. There was no concept of stardom. That was not, being a star in any sense was not a thing. We frowned upon that heavily. Like we, in the classical music world, a star is a diva, right? And nobody ever wanted to work with a diva and none of us wanted to be a diva ever. So our training was in being an anti-diva and we never even pondered the word star or rock star. And this was, you know, pre-American idol. So when that show came along, I was just shocked. I was like, what? This is crazy to me. People are auditioning for a job that I simply got by studying for a long time. It was really strange. It felt like people auditioning to be a plumber because my parents just had that practical approach to being a musician. It's a service the community needs and you practice a lot and you learn the trade and then you do the trade and then you get paid and that's it. I I love that approach. I'm so grateful to them for growing up that way. You just reminded me, slight tangent, uh, my friends Libby and Maeve are part of a cabaret group called Lady Sings It Better where they take male sung songs and sing them as women without changing the words and highlight all the terrible things about them. <laughs> and it's a fantastic show. And if anyone's in Australia when they're touring, you should go and see it. They've been at all the fringe festivals. That sounds fun. But I remember Maeve was writing something about being asked to be on Australia's Got Talent. And basically her response was to write something to say, no, one, we're a group who has our audience. I don't want to see how you frame us to an audience that's not ours. Oh, yeah. Whew. And also, you're not going to pay us, and we're working musicians, so we don't have time for that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh uh-huh, 100%. I often have fans say to me, or people who've heard me for the first time say to me, you should go on American Idol or The Voice, and I I appreciate it, because what they're trying to do is give me a great compliment, you know? So I try not to shut them down. I think I did rudely once or twice, and I apologize (laughs) to those people. But yeah, it makes no sense if you approach music as a thing you learn. If you approach music as a thing you're divinely gifted with by the gods, then that show makes sense in terms of who is the most gifted by the gods, which is still kind of a gross concept. But (laughs) if you think of music as a thing that you can learn and study, and either you do or you don't study it, then it makes no sense at all. And that was lucky for me. That was very much the perspective I grew up with was, have you practiced today? No? Well, then you're not getting better. And it's your choice. Either you (laughs) practice or you don't. And if you practice, you get better. And if you don't, you don't. So that was a gift from my working musician family. (laughs) (laughs) See, and I know it's not the same thing, but have you read The Name of the Wind? Oh, yeah. 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 Sorry, that's all I'm picturing. That is almost exactly my family. We were performers. We were not entirely understood by the community we lived in, I think, especially my mom, who is very, is a brilliant artist, was not quite comprehended by the sort of like mellow white suburban <laughs> sort of, what what am I thinking of? Pleasantville kind of town that we lived in. You know, it was a wonderful town full of wonderful people, but it was also not very appreciative of the artistic mindset that my folks had. And we were always a tiny bit outsiders in the same way that I was in school because I was super nerdy. But then again, a lot of people define themselves that way, you know, so... This is something I normally ask of people who are musicians, and it's just something that interests me. As a musician yourself, 
what sort of music was grabbing your attention when you were young? I was a classical musician. I was a classical music nerd. Mm -hmm. I got into jazz in middle school and high school. I loved Broadway, you know, soundtracks. I think I was totally oblivious to the grunge movement and pop and hip hop until late middle school, high school. I remember when Kurt Cobain died and I was the first time I'd ever heard his name and the first time I'd heard of Nirvana. And that was embarrassing to me because everyone else knew who he was, you know, and I, everyone else was mourning him as I should have been because he was a genius. But I just didn't even know because I had my head in Brahms and Mozart and Bach and Beethoven, you know. So I caught up later. I've <laughs> gradually caught up. But a lot of my music history now is remedial 20th and 21st century music history because I studied <laughs> I studied dead white guy composers pretty thoroughly before that for a long time. <laughs> High school. Let's see. I loved ska. It was it was kind of the height of the ska rage. And that was fun. I went to some concerts. We danced really hard. It was just fun, you know, fun, danceable music that was intelligent and had weird chord progressions. I loved that. And in college, I guess I started listening to, to music from around the world for the first time. And that was exciting to me. I had some I had some good roommates who exposed me to cool music and I feel very lucky for them. They played me like, oh, so this is from Brazil and this is from North Africa and this is from Mexico and this is from Eastern Europe. And, you know, so that, that was really good for me. <laughs> yeah, I've spoken about it on the show before, but it's so important to have those people who not in a way of oh, ugh, you don't know this. Mm -hmm. But instead it's like, oh no, you don't know this. I get to show this to you. Yeah. Like, come with me. Isn't this great? Yep. Yeah, I was I was very lucky with that in college. Lots of very cool people who were excited to share things. And I, I was open to everything, which was a good move. I'm really glad. <laughs> so today what I listen to is, huh, let's see, a, a mix of kind of probably the more popular end of indie music and people that no one has ever heard of who I encountered on tour or got weird CDs, you know, handed to me <laughs> by who remembers who. I was going to say, I, I know this is going to make me sound like a giant snob and a jerk, but I accept this. I am who I am. Whenever I go to see... A concert and they have a local band as their opener. Mm -hmm. the, the guys or, or ladies who play when everyone is filing in, mm -hmm. if they have a, a little EP at the front of the place, that's the one I'll buy. Oh yeah. Because chances are if I'm seeing the main band, I will already have their CDs because I like them. Yes, exactly. Whereas the other ones, I will occasionally like pick something up and just be like, oh, you know, either this becomes nothing or then maybe, you know, five years later, like there's a band called Violent Soho, which is very big in, in Sydney at the moment. And I have a little like hand-drawn EP <laughs> that I bought from them. And I was so happy to. So if you had a couple of bands you wanted to shout out, you know, give, give a little plug. Who's been getting your attention lately? Oh boy, let's see. I hope every... He said putting her entirely on the spot. Oh no, that's okay. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely up on it right now. Let's see. We just had a band called Playboy Spaceman play at our wedding, and that was the single biggest expense of our wedding. That is an excellent name. Playboy Spaceman <laughs> is a favorite of ours. Maybe more fun live than recorded. I'm not positive. I love their recordings, but also that's because I've seen them live, and they just, they shred live. They're, everyone dances their butts off. It's so fun. It's just a very, it's a big rock outfit, and they make you want to dance, and it's really fun. There's a gem of an album that no one else has that I love. It's by a girl named Christina Moreland, and it's called Pigeon Music, P-I-D-G-I-N Music. And that is one of my Desert Island discs, even though no one else knows about it. It's really hard to get. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I hesitate to call her out, actually, because she doesn't like the attention I, I have learned. Oh, no. I've since tried to, to do shows with her and stuff. But this record is just, it's a treasure. It's amazing. Who else do I enjoy? Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds? 
I don't know if you've heard of them. Another great name. <laughs> great name, yeah. Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds. I heard about in Austin. I found their CD there at uh, Waterloo Records, and I listened to it, and it, I was immediately taken with it. They're kind of a big funk show band outfit that played in a lot of genres, and I went and saw them a few weeks later when they were coming through Austin. So, yeah, that was fun. Let's see, who else am I listening to lately? Very more boring people. Andrew Bird and Vampire Weekend, and oh, the new Residente album is amazing. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, Residente is a... Actually, I'm not sure where he's from, but he did a project. I heard about it on NPR and I immediately ordered the CD because it sounded so good. He's a a Spanish language hip-hop artist who is pretty popular already, but has done a project to trace his own DNA. And of course, it goes around the globe like most of ours does, right? So he went and did a music project in each of these places collaborating with all these different hip-hop artists I've never heard of. And they were all amazing. So it was really fun. It was a good way to get introduced to a lot of new people through one album, the new Residente project. Oh, there he is. He's Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican. Ah, thanks. Oh, that might explain why Lin-Manuel Miranda does an introduction, which I actually didn't know when I ordered the record, but he came on and I was like, oh, well, I okay, I guess this makes sense. And But yeah, the, the rest of the album is just amazing. Actually, I think I think I may have heard his music on the radio. Okay, so I possible. should have paid attention. Possible. It's a fantastic <laughs> record. It's it's one of those that doesn't break neatly into songs. You know, it's more of a full album mm-hmm. experience since it's a global tour. You know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by Wikipedia. I should not be looking at Wikipedia when I'm recording. Ah, oh, shame on you. See, that's why I turned Sorry. my internet off so I can't press the internet while I'm talking on my podcast. <laughs> smart although i found that since because i used to edit this on the way to work and then i got laid off so i've had lots of free time but my editing has like dropped to a crawl because having the internet on the same machine that you edit is like a huge distraction and i will lose like great swaths of time when i'm supposed to be editing welcome to <laughs> self-employment which is where you flog yourself because your employee is lazy and your employer is a jerk so <laughs> i use the turning off my internet function of my the little you know wi-fi signal in the corner i go to turn wi I off all the time if I want to get something done. And then there's still the phone right there. So easy to disappear into. <laughs> you just glance down for a second and it's like, you're uh-huh. gone. Yep. I, de- I delete the Twitter app from my phone regularly so I can only use it in my browser. Uh-huh. If I do that thing where I lose two hours to Twitter, then I'm like, oh, you've lost your privileges, Marion. And I just delete the app. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to download it again, but. <laughs> yeah, it's far more control than I show. Oh, uh, you'd be self-employed long enough that will happen too. <laughs> Otherwise, nothing ever happens. So you're the second of my guests that has lived in or lives in Alaska. Previous guest, Megan Nielsen, lived in Anchorage. So what brought you to Alaska? What was the move to Alaska like? Oh, no, I'm curious what brought her to Alaska. That's funny. She's originally from there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, I am not. Now lives in Maine and tells everyone they don't know what cold is. (laughs) Well, it depends. If she was from Anchorage, Anchorage is not that cold. So I think, I don't know if she has that much in the way of bragging rights. But let's see, I did not grow up in Alaska. I moved to Alaska when I was 21. I was in the middle of my senior year of college, I think. So I I still had to go back down to California to finish college. But I was officially an Alaska resident as of uh, November 2003. I didn't want to go particularly. I had planned on living in Seattle my whole life. Like, I loved the Seattle area. I thought, you know, I'd land in Bellingham or... Port Townsend or one of those cute little harbor towns somewhere around Seattle, or possibly like New York or LA or Nashville or kind of a city that was an arts hub of some kind or another. But uh, I was married at the time. My ex-husband was an airplane mechanic and just our luck, he finished his certificate just about the same time as September 11th occurred. Oh boy! And so there was a major, major downturn in airline traffic and all these unemployed air mechanics at the same time as he was trying to get his first job. So that was, that was a bit of a nightmare for him. Yeah. And finally he called me and just 
said, look, there are no jobs anywhere in the country except for Wichita, Kansas or Anchorage, Alaska. And I said, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, please. So <laughs> he had family there. And so, and as a young married couple decided that that was the best place to go. So we moved up there and I was, I said, only a year. I can't live here. You know, I know there's nothing for me to do here. We'll just pursue your career for a while and then it'll be my turn. And that was just the wrongest, most snobbish, most stupid idea. And I hardly <laughs> repent. And I'm so sorry to everyone for ever thinking that, which is maybe why I tell this story now, because I just want people to know that I feel properly ridiculous for having thought that. The arts are everywhere and amazing jobs in the arts are everywhere and amazing artists are everywhere. And I was such a snob. Oh my God. But I completely fell in love with Anchorage and with Alaska. And I just realized I wanted to stay here. It had something for me. And I decided that I just had to stay. I don't know why it, it, I I mean, I do, I have lots of theories why, but it's long and complicated and you kind of have to come visit to really properly understand why it's different than the rest of the States. The people here are very different. Like climate's different enough and weird enough with the sunlight and the nighttime and everything and the winter and all that, the bears, the moose, (laughs) but it's a lot more than that too. Like the people who choose to live here are really interesting and I wanted to be interesting. So I (laughs) stayed here and it, it led me to start making the kind of art that I never would have expected. That's great. And you're right. I think it's the people who choose to live in locations that would be considered liminal or extreme. It's when it's a choice rather than, oh, it's just an accepted thing. You're right. You tend to get some very interesting people in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. Like we have several military bases up here, for example. People who live on the military bases will tend to love or hate Alaska passionately. Either they'll do everything they can to stay or come back and they'll get really involved in the life of the town or they'll just like disappear and never speak of it again, you know? <laughs> and and that's yeah. pretty common. But everyone else just about, you know, over age 18 really wants to be in Alaska. People have a relationship with it in a way that I never saw people have a relationship with other places very often. You know, maybe like New Orleans or New York or spots like that where the geography really, really impacts your story. And I loved that. So I don't know. So here I am. I don't live in Anchorage anymore. I live in Juneau now. And it's just a weird, amazing, strange, interesting, beautiful, inspiring place. So. (laughs) And did you find that impacted you when it came to, you know, touring and such? Or was it just another thing to get over. Well, I never even pondered being a musician full time until after I moved here. And I think that living here was part of that decision because I met people who just had no ceiling on the imagination of what they could do. They really just thought, I'm going to do that. Okay. And then went and did it. Never even thought why they couldn't. And that was important to me because I was very much an impossibility thinker. I believed that I couldn't do things and I believed it strongly. (laughs) My poor mom, she'd be trying to get me to consider doing different things with my life. And I'd be like, no, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that because of this. No, I can't do that. And living in a place where people just really affirmed their right and their ability to do things was really amazing. That's really great. It changed me quite a lot. And the other thing that happened while I lived here was that MySpace became a thing. And before MySpace, I never would have pondered being a songwriter or publishing music, you know, because it was too hard to find your audience. And because record labels were not interested in anyone like me, who was weird and nerdy and not pretty and over whatever age, I don't know, I think they like 21 or 22. So I just was once I realized that I was like, Oh, well, then what's the point and didn't even try to do songwriting or singing or anything like that. Then the internet came along and said, No, 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 you can go find your little tiny school of people. And I saw that possibility almost immediately. So I I went ahead and got started. So it was kind of a combination of Alaska and the internet that caused me to even start. So I've actually never really 
actually lived not in Alaska and tried to tour. I'm sure it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the entire mass of Canada in the way if you want to get to the rest of the states. Yeah, I mean, I have an extra like $500 flight between me and every tour destination. And $500 is a lot in the tour calculus, you know? That's significant. That's a lot of money. You barely squeak by on a tour, even a good one. So... It's very common to come home and realize that even though you've paid for everything, you haven't paid your rent back home quite or your bills, you know? Oof. So, but that's okay. It's still worth it. It's like a great experience. It's sowing seeds for the future for people who will get your next album or be interested in your next project. And it's a way to connect with these amazing folks who've been following my music forever. Yeah. And I mean, MySpace gets a lot of grief as kind of the <laughs> kind of the redhead stepchild of social media or rather the weird kid smoking out back of social media it was definitely the first though it was yeah i mean the first after the chat forums and the attempt at friendster you know oh god yes uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah i mean you're right for someone who is trying to put something musically up where someone can see it it's yeah it's huge it was huge and there was nothing else has come along that's like it like myspace accidentally they tried to invent a social network and instead they accidentally invented the greatest music discovery engine that's ever existed i think as far as the impact it would have to land on your friend's page and hear them playing a new song you'd never heard before as their profile song, you know? To have it autoplay obnoxiously. And then you'd be listening <laughs> to it and be like, oh, wait, this is awesome, you know? Like, no one has ever done something like that again because, first of all, autoplay is so annoying. And <laughs> so nothing quite like that has ever come along again. People can share playlists or like pages or whatever, post links on Twitter, but nothing is the same as what MySpace did. And so that was a really unique window of opportunity. I mean, there's other opportunities now, but I felt really lucky to hit that exact one. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it's getting straight to people who want to hear it, as opposed to having to grab people's attention and saying, hey, listen to this. It's, no, people would come looking for you and find your music. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I like what your friend said about don't decontextualize me, you know, don't take my music out of the context of my audience because that oh that scares me i mean I, I i have an audience that i think knows me knows my music knows my weird quirky cerebral sort of lyrics music nerdy stuff that i do and there are songs that i would be happy to have taken out of context but there are a lot of ones that only work in context you know and i love being able to control that context and my goal is never to advertise to someone who hasn't been told by word of mouth that they should hear me already you know, like I do not cold call. I don't get Facebook ads. I don't try to email people who have not signed up for my list. I don't, you know, the, the one time that I might be playing for people who've never heard of me is in a live venue, you know, and that's my goal because I think it's the most obnoxious thing in the world to have someone advertise to you something that you didn't ask for. And I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world to have like your friend come to you and say, you've got to listen to this. And that's, that's how I want it to be. And that's what MySpace did by accident. <laughs> <laughs> There's a line from an, a very old Stuart McLean radio program. A guy was talking about why he shopped at places like Goodwill or Salvation Army or St. Vincent de Paul or places like that. And he's like, there's a real pleasure in buying something that hasn't been sold to you. Oh, absolutely. I remember hearing it and laughing at first and then kind of going quiet and going, no, no, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's absolutely it. I have a, I wouldn't say, huh, I almost said an advertising allergy. I don't quite <laughs> because it is fun when someone advertises something at you that you actually did want, you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm loath to give the information to like my browser or to Google that allows them to do that with precision because that irritates me. I don't like it when robots bring me things I want. I like it when my good friends <laughs> bring me things I want. And so I strive to be that. I don't trust you, robot. <laughs> no, I don't trust you, robot. You don't get to know all these things about me. My friends get to know these things about me and they can bring me 
things I want. I really believe in word of mouth, and so I try and be someone that people only find through word of mouth is my goal. And then I know that when they find me that a certain small percentage of people out there will be completely delighted in the shared little moments that I get to make, which is fun, because I feel like it's, I, I write a lot of in-jokes for people who I have a lot in common with, and it's so fun to meet those people, but I have no desire to inconvenience anyone who just goes, what? You know, it's, they, there's music for them too, and it just doesn't happen to be mine, and that doesn't bother me at all. So yeah, anyway, it's, it's fun. <laughs> I'm very much behind it, and I have, it sounds breaky to say it, and I'm just going to say it, whatever. I have been one of those people. I have pushed your music on Fox. <laughs> Woo! Thank you! That's the only way I live. <laughs> and, and again, another embarrassing thing to admit to someone who has actually written the thing we're talking about, I actually have one of your lyrics on my list of to get tattoos for the next couple of years. Oh my gosh! That's amazing! It's one of the ones that has lasted for, gosh, yeah, nearly eight or nine years on that list, which uh, where a lot of things have dropped away. And the <laughs> line is, I won't ever play it cool, so I won't ever want to be bored. And I very much subscribe to that. And eventually it's going to be on my body. So there. That is amazing. And I love it. You picked a good one. I never would have thought of that one. I've had other people pick other things. I think I've only heard of three tattoos so far, and that amazes me. Sometimes I think there's some that I should get, like, especially from the song, I Hope My Discipline Improves in Time, which is about how <laughs> I have a compelling and yet completely wrong <laughs> sense of optimism about how much I can accomplish at any one time. <laughs> and I just need a reminder of that constantly. That's amazing. I love it. I won't ever play it cool, so I won't ever once be bored. That was important to me, too. Someone asked me if I was bored once, and I was like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. <laughs> There's too much stuff in the world. How can you be bored? <laughs> All right, Marion, so I think that's a good place to end things. So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? Oh, I am very easy to find. You can find my music on my website, which links to Bandcamp, honestly. It's mariancall.com. M-I-R-I-A-N. You can also find me on iTunes and Spotify and RDO and all the other places where you might listen to music. YouTube and all, you know, I've made a bunch of videos. My songs are weird and quirky and not about the usual things, so I hope you will check them out for a minute. That's fantastic, and I recommend everyone go and do so, and everyone go to Bandcamp. It's how she gets paid best. <laughs> Bandcamp is also a very good company. I support and believe in them. <laughs> they are great. All right, well, thank you so much, Mary, and I'm so glad I got to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I really, I'm really happy you asked. Have a wonderful afternoon. Todas mis mañanas amanecen arropadas con tu atardecer. Tú te duermes en mi hoy. Yo despierto en tu ayer. Cuando tengo que bajar, te dan ganas de subir. Yo quiero llegar cuando tú te quieres ir. Todos los descubrimientos tienen muchas ganas de encontrarte. Hasta las estrellas usan telescopios pa buscarte. Dentro de los accidentes imprevistos y las posibilidades Thank you very much to Marion Call for her time. When planning Marion's signature cocktail, we ended up having a quite an interesting conversation. She said she enjoys interesting gins, martinis with a twist, bourbon Manhattans also with a twist, smoky scotch, port, dry sherry, and drinks that have complexity in stages. There was discussion of coffee and coconut water ice cubes, although those didn't make it into the final drink. Instead, I smashed a few different drinks together, and while it may not be entirely to everyone's taste, it will certainly never be boring. I present the Vespers. Take a cocktail glass and pour in a little bit of dry vermouth. 
Not much, only about a teaspoon. Roll the glass around so that the entirety of the surface is coated and put it aside. In a mixing jug with ice, combine one and a half ounces of single malt scotch. I chose a Glenlivet, but do what you feel. Half an ounce of Amaro Montenegro and half an ounce of Pedro Jimenez Sherry. Add in two to three grinds of black pepper. Stir rapidly to chill and combine. Tip out the dry vermouth and then strain the cocktail into the glass. Top with a little bit more black pepper. As for layers and complexity, the pepper will initially start on top of the drink where you'll smell it, then as it becomes logged with the liquid, it'll drop to the bottom, leaving the last few mouthfuls intensely peppery and changing the drink entirely. It's a drink to quiet our minds, calm our hearts, and move toward deeper levels of our own nature. Enjoy! No hay señal de mis satélites ni de tus astros Tú pierdes mi rumbo Cuando yo pierdo tu rastro Y aunque perder tus pasos sea parte de mi rutina El suelo sonríe Cada vez que tú caminas The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars in your pocket and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. You can get early access to episodes, physical mail, cursive tweets, and I would just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes for the country of your choice and leave us a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? I actually haven't had very many of those lately, so maybe we'll go on a little bit of a pledge drive for those. You can do it. I believe in you. If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Just go to bit.ly slash themathofyou with capitals at the beginning of each word to find the Spotify playlist with every song I've ever used going back to episode one, including this one. It's Zenjet Incorporated by Playboy Spacefan. I hear they play weddings too. I update that playlist every Wednesday when the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, I'll be talking to David James Young, music journalist, podcaster, and musician, about the power of music videos. Just before you go, normally after the credits I put a few funny things that we've said during the intro conversation or occasionally afterwards. However, Marion and I were so efficient in our conversation that we didn't really chat much before the show, we just got straight into it. However, this week, while editing this episode, I've been mainlining Marion's new album, Standing Stones, which you can find on Spotify or Bandcamp. One track in particular got my attention. Now, Marion's music can be funny, it can be sweet, it can be sad, but maybe it's because of the new baby that will be coming in just about a month? 
one track in particular really got my attention and threaded that needle and hit me straight in the heart. So with Marion's permission, I present Bones by Marion Call from the 2017 album Standing Stones. Join me, won't you? My first language was rhythm, a heartbeat not mine. And my first meal was shared, blood and body test was to cry, was to cry, and my bones, and my, and at the bones. test was to speak for myself. 